This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, enjoy today's message with Adam Donier. The part of today's series I'm going to do is not what you think, right? We start to think some things, and then we start to really dig in. We're like, wait a minute, that's not what I thought at all. So we're going to look at a couple of those things. I'm going to show you some pictures first to get it kicked off. It's not what you think. It sounds great on the front end, but on the back end, it is not what you think at all. Okay, uh, here's another one. It's not what you think. Airlines will pop up on you and make you think that you're going to get a huge round-trip ticket to Florida for cheap, for nothing, right? All these airlines do this. You get a little pop-up, round-trip, $39. You're like, oh, this is awesome. So my wife and I did this. Oh, this is the cheapest flight out there. It's right out of Branson. We'll get to San Diego. And then you get in there, and then they charge you for your backpack, and they charge you for your suitcase and then they charge you for your seat and they charge you if you need special assistance and then they charge you if you need to print out your ticket and you're like holy cow this is double what it would have been to drive to Springfield right and so we get there we get to the airport she's got her suitcase it's 50 pounds and they say well we reduced it from 50 to 40 pounds you got to take 10 pounds out of that I said, I don't know what weighs 10 pounds what her boot her cosmetic what I don't know what a shirt a, a hoodie like we're not, what, what weighs 10 pounds? And I said, hold on, let me understand this. You want me to take 10 pounds out of that, put 10 pounds into my backpack that's going on the exact same plane? Uh-huh. Okay. Open up a suitcase. Everybody's standing behind you. You're trying to figure it out. I think this works. It's like a guessing game. Price is right. Come on down. You got it. It's unbelievable, right? Here, here's another little video. It's not what you think, okay? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what you think. Social media is not what you think. The filters are not what you think. You can Google this when you go home. I couldn't show it at church, but there is a YouTube video of a graphic arts designer who takes a slice of pepperoni pizza. I'm not making this up. A slice of pepperoni pizza and photoshops it into a bikini model. It's true. So just think about this. Next time you want to take a second glance at a ladies, fellas, you're struggling with a pizza, pepperoni pizza. Or ladies, the next time you want to compare yourself to a girl online, she's a piece of pepperoni pizza, okay? It's not what you think. Social media can fool and just, well, where'd you get that information? On the internet. It's not what you think. Well, there's some Bible verses that I want to share with you that are not what you think that we make famous in popular culture, but they're not what you think. Here's one of them that we see all over. Philippians 4.13. Athletes will put it on eye black. They'll put it on their sneakers. They'll put it all over. And they say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I could believe this verse, but if I go grab grandma over here and we go to the bench press and I throw 400, I'm going to kill her. Okay? But I believe that I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what this verse is saying at all. There are some limitations. As a matter of fact, I think one of the most harmful things we tell kids is you can be anything you want when you grow up. That's not true. There, there's, there are limitations. There's human limitations. That's a part of being our humanity, right? What this means in context is Paul is saying, I'm not saying, go ahead, next verse. 
I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What Paul is saying when he says right after that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is I will get through it because I have Christ. That's, that's what he is saying. He's not saying that you're going to be an Olympic athlete because you have Christ. He's saying you can get through all things. So it's important to know this. If Christ brings us to it, he'll bring us through it or to him. Our ultimate hope is not in this earth. Our ultimate hope is Christ. And so if he brings us through, if he brings us to cancer, if he brings us to divorce, if he brings us to hardship, if he brings us through breakup, if he brings us to it, he'll bring us through it and he'll use it for our good or he'll bring us home which is our ultimate hope, right? Here's another one that we love to plaster on coffee mugs and above our kitchen counters. And For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Oh, we love that verse. Do you guys realize Jeremiah never prospered in worldly eyes? Isaiah never prospered. Peter never prospered. Andrew never prospered. Matthew never prospered. They didn't prosper the way you think of prosperity. Our prosperity may not be on this earth at all. Our prosperity is heaven. That, 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 that's, that's our home. Do you know what the context of this verse? you know what verse 10 is before you even see that one? This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed, that's 70 years of slavery, bondage, captivity. When those 70 years... So if you want to prosper, do you want the 70 years of slavery that comes before that? When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to the place. That's the context of that. Heaven is our hope. That's the context of Jeremiah 29, 10 and 11. Okay, here's another one. Matthew chapter 7. We love this. Do not judge or you too will be judged. We love to quote the great theologian Tupac. Not a theologian. He's a rapper. And he said, only God can judge me. That's not, that's not true. Like, don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? No, no, no. Brothers and sisters in Christ, yes, hold each other accountable. It is biblical to hold each other accountable. But what this verse is really saying is there's a way to hold one another accountable. Check it out as it goes on in chapter three through five, or verses three through five. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So this verse is not telling you not to judge or hold one another accountable. It's saying when you do it, do it with humility. The, the most powerful way I hold, as some of you know, I disciple 18 to 19-year-olds during the year. That's my profession. And when I have to call them out in their sin or call them to account for something they've done, I never do it in a condescending way, in a judgmental way. I usually take myself back to my 18, 19-year-old self when I was a much bigger fool and a much bigger idiot than they probably are in their current state, and say, hey, you know, when I was 18 and 19, I really struggled with this too. Or I I really wrestled with this. And and because the reality is transparency cultivates confession. And so it's not saying don't hold each other accountable. It's saying hold each other accountable in humility. Don't hold someone accountable and think you need your halo polished or that you're so much better than somebody. We all struggle. We all have sin. It may look different in different people and in different ways. But that verse is not saying not to judge. That's not what it is. Way out of context. So now it's not what you think. I want to take you through a story you maybe grew up of. Maybe you've never heard of this story, but maybe you've heard it multiple times. But I want to take you to a story. 
in Scripture that, that it's not what you think. And as I've been diving into Malcolm Gladwell's David and Goliath, which pushed me more into studying more about this story and doing some more historical digging, I've been fascinated by the story because I've understood this story horribly. As a matter of fact, popular culture tells you this story is all about, you see it during March Madness, oh, David versus Goliath, or you see it in boxing matches, or you see, oh, this is a David versus Goliath. I think all of us have grossly misunderstood this story. And I'm just going to show you some evidential facts of why. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, you can just follow along on the screen. But before we get into this, there's a verse in the chapter before in 1 Samuel 16 when the Lord is telling Samuel to go anoint this king. And the king he's telling him to go anoint isn't someone you and I would think should be king. And so this is the Lord's response to Samuel in chapter 16 verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's that's a really fascinating verse because we're about to get into what the rest of the men see. So we know the story of David and Goliath, right? This huge giant that takes on this little shepherd boy. And we think there's no way David stands a chance. Or does he? Or is it actually flipped? Is it actually, there's no way Goliath actually stands a chance. Let's get into it. Now the Philistines, now the Philistines were sea gathering people. They were sea or faring people. So they came from Crete and they came across the sea and now they're trying to take Israel and gain, gain more territory. So now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko and Judah. They pitched camp at Ephs and Damien between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Let me show you a visual so you understand what we're reading. This still exists to this day. So you have the Philistines who came from the sea, which is over the picture, and then you have the Israelites on this hill, the closest side. And then there's this valley that still exists today, the Elah Valley. And so what's going on is you have this whole military here on this hill and an entire military on this hill, and neither one wants to go because as soon as you go down that valley and have to start going up a hill, you're at a huge disadvantage. Everybody knows in military, if you, the higher you are, the better military advantage you have. And so nobody wants to go down in this hill. So what happens? Well, they want to eliminate as many casualties as possible and minimize bloodshed. And so the Philistines say, hey, let's send out Goliath. He intimidates everybody. He's a giant. Let's just send him out there and see what happens. And so this is what they did. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Now, the Septuagint and the Dead Sea Scrolls has that as four spans, four cubits in a span. Our English version says six cubits in a span. And so there is some discrepancies there. But however, it's not inconsistency depending on the translation of the ancient text. Regardless, we know this, that Goliath was anywhere between seven and nine feet tall. Now, unless you're playing in the NBA, seven feet is still tall today, especially back then, right? The nutrition and everything else is different. Seven feet is a giant. So regardless, he's still a giant. I'm around some seven-footers coaching basketball, and seven foot is still a giant, okay? And so even if he's seven or nine feet, but that was his height. Now, this is important. He had a bronze helmet. I want you to remember this. We're going to get to this in just a second. He had a helmet on, Okay. On his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. 
His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Let me give you a visual of what we're talking about here and what we're describing, okay? So here's this giant that is decked out in armor, head to toe, 100 pounds of armor with a sword, with a javelin. He's got his little armor bearer right here, holding in everything. It's all put together, right? And so from this point of of Goliath going out and partaking in what we'll call ancient day smack talking, right? He's he's out there talking smack. He's like, who who can take me on? Who can mess with me? Nobody. I'm a giant. You guys don't have anyone on your little hillside over there that even comes close to what I am. Come, come. And he starts defying the name of our living God. Talks smack and just keeps berating them and they get more and more intimidated. And well, David catches wind of this. This little shepherd boy boy catches that there's a stalemate and that somebody's talking smack on his God. He's like, whoa, 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 what's going on? What's going on? So he works his way to the front lines and his brother's like, what are you doing? Get back. Take care of those sheep. Why why are you here? You shouldn't be here. He's like, no, no, no. Why why do you think I mean ill? Like he's defying God. So he finds his way to Saul and, and as he finds his way to Saul, this is what happens. We skip forward about 13 verses. In 1 Samuel 17, 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul's like, wait, 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 what? Wait, come again? Wait, wait, you want to go fight him? The confidence that David had. And we're going to find out here in just a sec why he had so much confidence. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him? Now think about it. Saul is thinking that David's going to fight him the same way that Goliath thinks that David's going to fight him. He, he thinks that this is going to be a hand-to-hand, sword-to-sword combat. And, and, and in that sense, David stood absolutely no chance. But, but as we see in the text, that's not ever what David thought. David never thought this was going to be a sword fight. You are only a young man and, has been, and, and Goliath has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it. That's a lion or a bear. I went at, I don't know how many of you in here will go chasing after a lion or a bear. Okay? He struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, so now it's mad, it's turning on him. I seized it by its hair, right? And struck it and killed it. You guys got to understand something. David was a really faithful shepherd, right? And so he, for years and years and years, keeping those sheep, bored out of his mind, just slinging stones all day. <laughs> That's all he's doing. He's, got, he's, he's out by himself. No friends, no boys. Like when guys are alone, we got to find stuff to do. We get bored and stuff either gets shot, blown up or something else, right? That's just what we do. Or we catch fish. We just don't do well sitting doing nothing. And so he's all day long just with those sheep, just aiming at targets. Boom, boom, just slinging this thing. All day, just slinging, all day, picking up rocks, slinging things, picking up rocks, slinging. He's doing this from dusk until dawn. He, he, he's gone over the 10,000 hours of what it takes to be an expert or professional. He's gone 20,000 hours. This is all he does from dusk and dawn. He's bored. There's no TV. There's no book to read. There's no podcast. There's nothing. All he is doing from dusk until dawn is becoming an elite, an elite slinger. 
all day. Let, let me give you the equivalent of this. This is like Steph Curry waking up every morning, shooting free throw after free throw after free throw, and then going to the NBA finals and shooting above 90%. I mean, he, he was so skilled in practice at the sling. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Watch what happens. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. He's thinking he's going to kill Goliath the same way he's taken out beasts. He is not even phased in a bit. We, we've thought about this story all wrong. Because he has defied the armies of the living God, you can t- now David's mad. He said, first of all, I'm ticked. He's talking smack. Someone needs to put him in his place. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. I love this because he's talking about God's faithfulness. The same God that's been faithful with me on those days I've been all by myself in the pasture is the same God that's going to rescue me from Goliath. All right, watch this. So this, does anybody know what those are? Those are ancient day Roman tongs. So you guys need to know something, that slingers, there was three parts of military back then, right? There was artillery, which were slingers and archers. There was horseback or battalion, and there was hand-to-hand combat. The most feared of all were the slingers. They were so elite at slinging, and what they would do is they'd get this thing going about eight revolutions per second, and then they would let go of one of these strings... That's what this little cord is right here. It holds your finger. And as you're going and you're slinging this thing, you just let go of this, and that stone goes flying. As a matter of fact, they, they said that the slinger was so good that they would have the stopping force, these stones, of a 45 millimeter, be equivalent to the stopping force of a 45 millimeter of how fast they could get these stones going. And what would happen, and why these exist, is these stones would bury themselves in the skin. They would literally be like a bullet into someone's body. And so the Roman soldiers created these tongs where they would go in and have to remove these rocks or these stones from these bodies so they wouldn't get infected and died if the stone shot didn't kill them first. That's what was amazing about these slingers. These slingers could literally hit a target from 200 yards away the size of a dinner plate. They were known to be able to hit birds at a mid-flight. Without a shotgun, my hunters, these slingers were unbelievably top professionals, and David was one of them. His whole life, all he did, keep sheep and protect them with a sling. And at the cost of knocking out bears and lions with the sling. Look what it goes on to say. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. He said, yeah, right. Now Saul's really got to be like, wait, you're crazy, kid. All right, it's your own death wish. Here, sign this waiver. <laughs> but, but, but Saul was thinking the same way that Goliath was thinking. They were thinking this was going to be a hand-to-hand combat. David never intended to get that close to Goliath, ever. Look at this. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, singular, staff. I'm going to tell you why in just a second. Chose five smooth stones from the... So there's something really cool about this too that I studied. 
in the history and the archaeology. So he takes five smooth stones, right? The barium sulfate, the barium sulfate is so strong over there, they think the stones over in Israel have double the density that a normal stone would have because of all the barium sulfate. So, so they're, they're not going to crack. They're not going to break. They have double the density of a normal stone. So, so it says that he goes and grabs five stones and he puts them in his pouch. So he grabs these five stones and he says he puts them in his pouch just like this. So he's sitting on a pouch. He's got his sling and, and, he, and he's ready to go to battle against this giant. Or so we think, this giant, Right? And so he takes five smooth stones from the stream, puts them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, he approaches the Philistines. So here he goes. This, this, this is where we're gravely mistaken. We got a guy bringing a gun to a knife fight. Who's the underdog? If I put a picture up here of one guy holding a gun, another guy holding a sword, you're all going to tell me the guy with the gun is going to win the fight. Every single one of you are going to tell me the guy with the gun is going to win the fight. It's like that old Indiana Jones scene where that dude does all his fancy little sword tricks of, and Indy's like. That's what's going on here. Goliath's running his mouth, yada, 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 trying to showboat and flaunt and everything else. And, and David's like, I'm ready. Let's go. He approaches the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bear in front of him. So I want you to catch something that I researched. This is crazy. So there's people when they're abnormally tall or are, are normally large, there's a disease called acromegaly. Acromegaly is a disease that makes the human growth hormone re- reply, respond way faster than it should. Matter of fact, Robert Waldling, the tallest human in the Guinness Book of World Records, who was close to nine feet, he had acromegaly. Matter of fact, Abraham Lincoln had acromegaly. But there's a side effect to macromegaly. They get to be really tall and really big, but one of the side effects of acromegaly is your vision. You either get really nearsighted and blear visioned or you can't see very well. So a lot of historians believe the reason there was a shield bearer, Goliath didn't need it. He was a giant. Why does he have a shield bearer and, and David doesn't have a shield bearer? And it says the shield bearer went ahead of him, which means he was guiding him to the point where he was going to battle David because he couldn't see very well. And we know again he doesn't see very well. Watch this. He kept coming to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and, and was handsome. And he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with? Sticks, plural. He didn't have sticks. He had a singular staff and a sling. Bad vision. Watch this. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here. He's telling David, you come here. I'm not coming to you. I got 100 pounds of weighted bronze and armor here. I'm not going to make it to you. You come here and let's go hand to hand, sword to sword. He's not thinking about the same battle he's thinking. Saul wasn't thinking about it. Once again, man doesn't look at the way that God looks. David knew all along how this was going to be won. David knew all along this knife boy didn't have a chance against the gunman. David knew. He said, I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, which you have defied, which the same God of the armies of Israel who had been with him every single day in those pastures all by himself when he had no distractions, no internet, nothing, just spending day and night shepherding the sheep with the Lord his God. He knew he was faithful. He delivered him from the lion. He delivered him from the bear. He delivered him time and time again. David knew that God was faithful. And he said, you don't stand a chance. 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God of Israel. Hey, if you throw God in it, you can be a Christian and talk smack too. I love it, okay? All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Watch this. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a what? It's really significant. Watch how cool this is. And I learned this just recently getting ready for this message for you guys. So a, a slinger in battle, what they would have done is similar, just like you bring in a clip to a gun. You're not going to put one bullet in your clip. That'd be a dumb strategy, as we all know. So what a slinger would do is... They would have one in their sling, and then they would hold their chamber like this. And then they would, have the other, they would have the other stone in the sling, and so they're sitting here getting after it. If they miss, they quickly grab another one, quickly grab another one, way faster than trying to reach in your pouch and get it and go after it. Just, just like uh, uh, you're not going to put one in the chamber when you go to battle. It, but he didn't do what normal slingers do. He didn't act as normal slingers would have acted. It says those other four stones remained in the pouch, which is unbelievable, which means David had so much confidence with his thousands and thousands of hours being on that field that he knew it was only going to take one stone. Those other four were just there because. So maybe the other people wouldn't tell him he's completely crazy and stopped him from going. But he only put one stone in the sling. He slung it and it struck the Philistine where? Y'all. The forehead. He had what on his head? A bronze helmet, which means it covered some of his forehead, which means the size that he had to land this stone to knock out this giant Goliath was smaller than the size of a dinner plate. Sunk in his forehead. David's the giant. Goliath isn't the giant. Goliath never stood a chance. Never stood a chance. He never saw it coming. And David never wavered or, wavered or doubted for one second. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a singular stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. He runs up to him, grabs his own sword, because he didn't have a sword, and cuts off his head and holds it up, and all the Philistines go into panic. Oh, my goodness. That is one bad Jason Bourne dude. <laughs> Popular culture has completely ruined this story. This story is not about you overcoming your giant of addiction or your giant of pornography or your giant of what. This story has nothing to do with you and overcoming your giants. David is the giant. David is the one, the odds on favorite to win this battle. David is the one who has done everything he could to be prepared for this moment, more so than a champion named Goliath. This story is all about faithfulness. It is all about David's faithfulness to do the small, menial, mundane task that didn't seem very becoming, but he did it regardless without complaint. Changing diapers, 
Being a faithful husband, being faithful at your work, being faithful to your kids, being a faithful employee, being faithful churchgoer, being faithful in your word, being faithful in prayer. It was all about being faithful in the small things. Luke 16, 10, he was faithful in the small things, will be trusted with much more. It was faithfulness and his faithfulness and in turn, the God who is always faithful, batting a thousand, never missed a curveball, never leave you or forsake you. This is all about God's faithfulness and David's faithfulness. And when we are faithful, we too can operate like giants because of the God we serve. This has nothing to do with you overcoming giants. You are the giant. David was the giant. And in the most beautiful way that Jesus does when he depicts parables, which I absolutely love the way he told parables to bring it closer to home, there's a parable in Matthew 25. And it's the parable of the talents. And Jesus is saying what heaven is going to be like. And he says, it's going to be like this. It's like a master who gives these talents away to these three servants. To one he gives five, to one he gives two, and to one he gives one. And then the master comes back after a while, the master being Jesus in this parable. And he comes back after a little while. And to the one he gave five, he gave him five more. And to the one he gave two, he gave two more. And the one who had one buried his treasure. But to the one who had five and the one had two, this is what he says to him. His master said to him, well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. You've been faithful over your sheep. You have been faithful from dusk until dawn over that flock board where you had nobody watching you. And then when you had everybody watching you for all the armies of the Philistines and all the armies of Israel, you shined because you were faithful in the mundane when nobody was watching you. John Wooden says your character is who you are when nobody sees you right? You were faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Ladies and gentlemen, those are the most beautiful words you and I ever say when we take our last breath. Those are the most beautiful words we'll ever hear from Jesus say right there. When we take our last breath and we come face to face with our maker, our creator, the most beautiful words we can ever hear is well done, good and faithful. I don't know what season you're in. I don't but I know wherever it is and whatever it is, God is calling you to be faithful right where you're at. He's not asking you to cut corners. He's not asking you to complain. He's not asking you to get bitter. Be faithful right where you're at. Goliath was not the giant. He never stood a chance. And nor does anyone else in your life that defies your living God. And as you walk in faithfulness, And as you're faithful in the small things, watch the hand of God work in your own life. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for this family and this church body and your goodness and your grace. And may we be a light this summer as we walk in faithfulness, faithful in the small things with as easy as not running stop signs and red lights and and, and faithful with our waiters and faithful with whatever small task and people you put in front of us, God, may you help us to be faithful and walk in faithfulness no matter how mundane or menial it may seem. Would you be this body? Would you be with our visitors? Would you be with our friends and our family and our church, God? We just thank you so much for who you are and your faithfulness through the ages to us. It's in your mighty and matchless name, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said...